Welcome to What Do You Know About? My name is Ash, and I will be your tour guide through the lesser-known stories of history. You can join us on your favorite podcast app, or come have a conversation on our Instagram at WDKA Podcast. But first, hold on tight, because we're about to go down a historical rabbit hole with today's episode. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everybody. We are talking about the satanic panic today. Uh, so, <laughs> yay! It's gonna be fun and lighthearted and exciting and fun and lighthearted. I'm pretty no, sure not. no one picks those words when they think <laughs> of the satanic panic. Listen, it's not the worst. I focused on a case that uh, has some interesting things about it. So, it's not like it's dark, but it's not like as dark as it seems i don't want to spoil too much um yeah fun facts i did not have one for this because there was nothing fun there there's a few like ironic things but there's nothing like fun about this so the uh, only fun fact i could think of was that the satanic panic in relation to D was a big part of stranger things I haven't actually watched Stranger Things, but I know that they talk about it a lot. <laughs> I watched the first two seasons. I kind of dropped off after that. It got a little strange. <laughs> I think I watched like the first two episodes. And then I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Especially like the D&D aspect. And then I kind of trailed off. D&D I'm going to watch it back. because I think um, a couple of big D&D villains come in to yeah. Stranger Things world so I'm like I want to watch that part but yeah I know the most recent season has a lot more D&D they have the Hellfire Club which is their D&D group that's the name that they gave it um yeah I, that's where the satanic panic came it comes into yeah yeah so I I, sh- I should get back to it but yeah I definitely dropped off of it a while ago yeah I prefer the facts more though <laughs> fair enough all right, so, Ashley, what do you know about the daycare side of the satanic panic? I mean, I think I know a fair bit because I have listened to podcast episodes from, about um, the whole, like about the satanic panic in general, where they usually fixate more on the daycare part. Um, but like, I haven't gone like deep into it like you have of like actually like looking at like the actual cases, cases themselves. I just know like, the overall this is what happened. Yeah, fair enough. So 
Yeah, so there were a few sides of the Satanic Panic. Um, I'll go over quick, just like a quick rundown of what it kind of was as a whole for our listeners. I know you already know this, but um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I'm going to focus on one particular case today because there was so much in just the one case that really it's like all that we were going to have time for. <laughs> yeah. To be entirely honest. And there's even more that I didn't talk about that, like, that still could be talked about. There were so many accusations flying around. Um, so for our listeners, our quick rundown of the satanic panic. Basically, it was a widespread panic, a uh, widespread moral panic that took over the United States in the 80s before spreading to other areas of the world, which mostly consisted of largely unfounded accusations of satanic, sadistic, and ritual abuse. By the end of it, there were over 12,000 cases and lingering effects that we still see today. The moral panic crept into many aspects of life, more than we're going to have time to talk about today. So Ashley's covering the effects on the D&D community, and I'm going to talk about the legal cases surrounding the daycares, I know it sounds specific, but it was like a huge part of it. There was so much going on. Uh, it was sparked by a book written by a psychiatrist and co-written by his patient and future wife, which is already questionable. And I haven't even talked about what the book is about yet. <laughs> Don't marry your, your patients. Um, yeah, no, no, that doesn't bode generally well. Not, generally not the best. Um, so the book is called Michelle Remembers, and they discuss the memories uncovered in Michelle's recovered memory therapy, which is a discredited form of psychotherapy, which uses methods like hypnosis, guided imagery, and potentially a certain drug called sodium amytal that induces a hypnotic state in order to bring up repressed memories. But this method at best doesn't actually help patients recover memories any faster and at worst plants false memories of events that never happened. Yeah, I think this is um, something that's coming up again now with the Marilyn Manson case because mm-hmm. he's claiming that a lot of the people who are coming forward um, from Rachel Evan Woods's side, that they were basically coerced into their memories by them, that they're basically doing this stuff to these people now. Interesting. <laughs> and that that's why why so many women are now coming forward that even have said like yeah we wouldn't we hadn't even thought of it until they approached us and then we remembered okay and I'm found that really, this has happened i'm really curious about like if there's any interview footage or like anything like that for these witnesses like behind the scenes footage like there's the a witness on it. youtube one of the one of his exes on youtube posted about um, her dealing, like how her interactions with um, Woods and Gore. Um, uh, well, yeah, so like the people who, like, so Evan Waitrell Woods and Ashley Gore are the ones that Marilyn Manson is suing, and then they're suing him back now. Uh, okay. It's a whole depth versus herd thing. Um, oh, no. But. One of his exes went on YouTube, like, has a YouTube channel, and so she went on and was saying how this is how they approached her and stuff. That she has no recollection; she doesn't want anything to do with them. That she's oh. on Manson's side. Interesting. <laughs> and stuff. Um, 
And so she kind of documents how they were talking to her, and he's and in his lawsuit, he's put out, like, this is, like, a script that they, that they had written, and this is text messages that we have gotten a hold of, of how they are trying to recruit these women. Interesting. That's- so it is online, but I'm like, it's kind of interesting that what was happening during the satanic panic is being brought into a, like, modern law case. Well, yeah, and it's interesting because it's so ethically questionable, right? Like, if there's a chance that you're planting false memories of abuse into a person, like, that's, that's immoral, right? Like, there's, there's no situation where that's a good thing. No. Well, and I think with your case, it, like when you have it, when you're doing it with children, Especially. it's not even it's not even that you're planting false memories. It's also that you're like tapping into their imagination and letting them run wild with stories. Oh, because they're absolutely. freaking toddlers. <laughs> absolutely, they're they're like five and under. Like ugh, for the most part, they're yeah. All right, so we, we've got to just get into this or we're going to be sidetracked talking about all the things surrounding it all day. Um, so, yeah, so this this ethically questionable, very highly criticized form of therapy uh, comes into play with a lot of the allegations against the daycares. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit, including the allegations described in Michelle Remembers. It made a lot of wild claims about Michelle being a victim of ritualistic abuse when she was five years old at the hands of her mother and other members of a satanic cult, all of which were investigated and no evidence was found to corroborate them. It was written and advertised as being true, and it got so big that Oprah hosted Michelle as a guest on her show alongside another author who had written another memoir about surviving ritual abuse that was also fake. So Oprah presented both books as fact to her audience and it like it's part of what led to this mass hysteria. I'm not going to say it was entirely Oprah's fault, but she say. certainly helped. <laughs> well, I was going to say that she I don't think she was a knowing accomplice. But like I she didn't think... question it at all though. Like well, but I think she took it as okay, these are memoirs these are real because I don't think we I don't think at that time we had the same amount of faked memoirs as we do now maybe i don't know like it just seems like poor journalism to me but i don't know i guess she's more talk show than journalism anyway i don't know i've never watched oprah um i've only watched the uh, i've only watched the henry and Meghan markle interview that's like all i've watched of oprah in a long time so many clips of that on Instagram. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, now let's talk about the mass hysteria itself. Let's get into the daycares. Uh, so one of the biggest trials involved was the case of the McMartin Preschool. Uh, accusations were made against McMartin Preschool in 1983, and the case lasted seven years. It was the longest and most expensive series of criminal trials in American history at that point. Not to mention the emotional effect on the kids and teachers involved. Yeah. So what kicked it all off? One Miss Judy Johnson, mother of one of McMartin's preschool students, her two-and-a-half-year-old son, He attended the school on about 10 occasions. 
Judy's husband left her and she went into a downward spiral mentally, accusing her ex-husband of molesting her child, unlocking herself in her room, refusing help before being forcibly removed, diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and turning to alcohol while her child was placed with relatives. Her accusations against her ex-husband, as well as the McMartin preschool staff, were already being uh, investigated by the time that she was diagnosed. And like the case, like it was too late. The case had already begun. Oh, I guess we should probably uh, put in a quick note that a lot of this stuff has to do with mental health um, mm-hmm. and mental health issues. So we'll make sure to have um, like some links in the show notes for where you can get help if you are experiencing mental health problems. Please do not do what these people have done to. Yeah. If. Yeah, like I, I, it's kind of, especially with paranoid schizophrenia, it's really hard to like find it in yourself because it feels so real, Mm -hmm. right? But if you are a loved one, suspect that you're going through something like this, like definitely reach out for help. Don't, 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 don't go down this path as much as you can. I know it's not, you know, circumstantially, it's not always in in your control, but let's, let's all do our best. Not. Not to do this. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. This spirals out of hand so fast. It's in. It's it's ridiculous. All right. So the invas- the investigation had begun. Um, before her diagnosis, you know, was like went through and everything. Yeah. So the chief of police sent out a message to 200 parents of the McMartin preschool students to let them know that their staff were under investigation for sexual abuse and asking that anyone with any information step forward. Pretty standard stuff, but given the social shifts uh, that were taking place at the same time, it just happened to be the flashpoint that sent everything over the edge. Yeah. It's so, it's so complicated, right? Like it could have been standard, but they also like detailed what types of sexual abuse they were investigating. And they named one of the staff members, Ray Bucky, in the email to 200 parents saying that he specifically was being investigated for very specific sexual charges, which is not how we do that. There was no. no evidence. He'd already been questioned and they hadn't found anything. And then they sent out this release saying that he was under investigation for sexual abuse. Like, it's not, that's not the order in which we do things. Yeah. That's not how we do that. Right. You can do a general call for information, but you don't need to be detailing the accusations. Like it's, just so mishandled so yeah all this all this information that didn't need to be in there pushed parents over the edge uh they had asked that parents keep the case confidential because of the nature of the case but it wasn't long before everyone in the area knew and like who can be surprised at the with the intensity of the accusations that they told everyone were in there like yeah of course people are going to talk about it yeah so they included in the statement describe uh detailed description of the sexual acts the staff had been accused of and named the staff member under investigation before they had any evidence whatsoever that he had done anything wrong uh so yeah so that was ray bucky and this trial completely obliterated his reputation and his career so after this message went out no one had any complaints beforehand this daycare had been up and open for some 30 years and no one had ever had any complaints about any of the teachers beforehand but after this message comes out suddenly parents and children start coming forward with incredible stories that just didn't add up uh judy you know 
continued at the at the start. She's the one that brought forward the initial allegation. She claimed that Ray's mother was involved in the satanic practices she was accusing Ray of, saying that uh, she took her two and a half year old son to a church and made him witness, uh, shall we say, violence against a baby before forcing him to drink the baby's blood. I would like to clarify all of this. There's no evidence found for it whatsoever. So just it's going to be it's going to sound like some intense stuff. Just remember, we have no evidence that it actually happened. Yeah. So she also said that Ray had locked her son in the trunk of his car and took him through a car wash, that uh, he had sexually abused her son in the preschool bathroom, that he dressed in a cape and Santa Claus costume to commit the abuse, and that he and the other teachers cut up rabbits and somehow marked her son with, quote, some sort of star on his bum. And none of this had any evidence whatsoever. Okay, I can see some of the other ones, but putting them in the trunk to take them through the car wash is a little out of the right. box. Like, compared to, like, the other ones where I'm like, okay, I can see that being something, log- yeah. like, logical that would have maybe happened, except for that, <laughs> except for that first one. I mean, the satanic ritual as well, like... I understand there was a lot of hysteria around that at the time, right? Yeah, so, but, like, I can see that being also, something that would be said, like, oh, he is a very, like, especially if, like, maybe the class bunny had passed away and then the kid made up some, like, crazy story. Right. Like, her two-and-a-half-year-old son. Do you know how much a two-and-a-half-year-old can talk? I know how much my three-year-old nephew can talk. Depends on the kid. And not detail how a bunny died. It depends <laughs> on the kid. I mean, I was talking That's by, like nine months or something after my mom took me to the P&E because I wanted attention, so I started saying clap, clap, because it got their attention. <laughs> Wait, that's like, cute. So, yeah, no, I mean, it depends, no, on, the it depends kid. on the kid. This kid didn't say any of this to any of the investigators. It was fully Judy talking for him, just telling investigators that he told her like, this child did not say any of this to the investigators. This kid had very little to do with it. So, yeah, so no one questioned, like, her, like, at first. Like, they investigated it, obviously, but, like, once they started getting, like, pushback from the parents to continue investigating, they kind of, like, stopped. Like, none of the, none of the other parents, like, really questioned, one, how he was able to tell her all of this in such great detail and, like, how he had the words for all of this. And two, why she kept sending him back to the preschool if she believed that he was being abused there. Yeah, exactly. Unless maybe there's not, like, another preschool, but... It's... It it wasn't, like... This wasn't, like, small town. This is, like... Yeah, it definitely wasn't the only one around. Yeah. But even still, another preschool or not, if my kid's being abused in preschool, they're not going back. I Like, I'll figure something else out. I'll hire an in home nanny for all I care like yeah no totally you don't send them back to where they're being abused parents after receiving the information that we discussed before demanded a full-scale investigation and the case was handed over uh largely to the children's institute uh international consultant key McFarlane, who would interview the children for two hours at a time which is a lot for a two to five year old uh key would ask the kids leading questions and tell them they would be rewarded if they told the quote truth about what was really going on but if the kids denied any wrongdoing she just like reinforced that it's okay to tell me or like tell them that they must be remembering wrong 
so anytime a kid told her, no, nothing happened. No one, I never saw anything like that. No one ever touched me like that. She's like, well, you must be remembering wrong. And like push them yeah. into telling her that something had happened, whether they actually believed it or not for two hours. Yeah. No, like you're based, like, as I said, like you're literally poking, like poking a kid's imagination and telling them to make you a story basically. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Because if I remember correctly, they're even, like, giving them examples of how they could have been abused. Where I'm like, no, you don't, yeah. you don't give them examples. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> even adults like, don't really give them examples questions. of how they could have been abused. Because then they'd be like, oh, maybe. Well, that's that's exactly it. Like, <sighs> this gets frustrating really quickly. Because that's exactly the problem. That's exactly the way that they were doing it. You can't be doing it like that. That's not how this works. No. Um. Yeah, so anything that they said in favor of the school would be met with disbelief and, uh, like, I mean, kind of minor threats. Like, they would essentially accuse them of lying if they didn't confess to something that didn't happen, right? Because they they would tell them as well, like, don't you want to be a good boy for mommy and daddy and tell me the truth about what's happening? After they just did. Like, that's so confusing for a kid. Oh, yeah, and especially if it's like, yeah, we would do finger painting. What would you finger paint? Bunnies, the sun, the clouds. Uh, no, 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 no. Were you perhaps finger painting things like this and then probably drawing out like a satanic? Okay. No, they had, they had dolls, like anatomically correct dolls that they had kids like like point to. Um, like Barbie with all the parts. Uh, that yeah. They would have kids like point to to try to like describe what happened. And they basically said that um like one of the theories that they had that the counselor that the kids talked to later had was that if they played with these dolls in a sexual way it was evidence that they were being molested because how else would they know well, but like no. who of us didn't smash our barbies together when we were children like we were all little weirdos like let's well, like... They would, like you know and especially like kids at that age they probably hadn't really explored those parts yet so then they're like what the hell is this well right like it's like this is new so, i don't my ken doll doesn't have this thing sticking out of them like like i want to touch it yeah. i want to see what it is and they and like look at it more i don't know it's so messed up man they haven't like, had sex ed yet they're not in like grade seven <laughs> no these are babies there was a game that the kids referenced um that was uh it's called naked movie star and the adults heard that and thought oh if you're playing a game called naked movie star then you're probably being forced to take like some adult is forcing you to take pictures naked uh is what they assumed but it's just like a it's just like a rhyming like a teasing rhyming taunt like it's it's it goes like um like the kid would just tease each other saying what you say is what you are you're a naked movie star and that was it like that's that's all it was that was the game like it's just kids being dumb like that's it <laughs> weird it's like kind of like, like red rover red rover yeah but like it's def i mean it's also the time like we're i think you're a bit more liberal maybe at this point with how you spoke but i'm like i don't as if i were like okay, i could see i could see whether it would get the assumption that it would be something a little bit more sinister but if they actually listen to to the kids about what the game actually was and did it make those assumptions then like they would have found out that it's just kids being weird like that's it but this is the thing though this is a time when there was the big fad of we must listen to our children and then they listen too much (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, well, and they the take so things much. a little too crazy where they're like, "Oh, the kid's saying this. Not, it must be tr- like it must be this because they're a kid. They don't know what they're talking about." But are you really listening to your kids no. if they're saying that nothing happened to me, and then you you know, and then you push them into saying something else? Like that's not listening. That's not listening to your kids. No, like, but they listened too. I said they listened too hard. They listened hard yeah. enough that they weren't listening. <laughs> yeah, no, like it. They they listened to their kids and then heard what they wanted to hear. Like they yeah. like heard the first thing that they said and then ran with that instead of actually fully hearing out their children. And that like drives me nuts because that comes like with the parents rallying around this. That's like such a theme that the kids are like, we listen to our kids, and I'm like, you haven't listened to a damn thing they've said this entire time. Like. Yeah. Drives me nuts. <laughs> so, yeah, so anything they said in favor of the school was met with disbelief, and anything they said against it was immediately accepted as fact, and the kids were praised for it. So, what did the kids do? <laughs> the obvious conclusion. Uh, most children began their interviews by denying seeing any evidence of abuse until Key pressed them into saying... Uh, what she wanted to hear and again after two hours of this it's no wonder that many kids did what she wanted and they caved and they started telling her all these insane stories about things that they've seen or started naming names um afterwards key would go to the parents and you know confirm that the child had been abused 384 children ended up being diagnosed as sexually abused from this process 150 of them received medical examinations. Only six had any physical evidence of abuse with nothing to connect that abuse to the preschool. Yeah, like, it literally, where it's like, great, you're you're finding kids who were quote-unquote abused, but you're not finding the real kids who were quote-unquote. Like, I bet you that same number of kids actually did get abused. Probably. But not by a preschool and not those actual kids not that you by <laughs> these people found. Like it could have been by a different preschool. It could have been from a church camp. It could have been from a family member yeah. or a parent or a friend of the family. I think it's mean There's it's nothing, usually a like parent. Looking... <laughs> it's usually a family member that's, that yeah, does that's it. The most common. Yeah. Like and then instead they're yelling at some random guy instead of the actual abuser and the kid is actually suffering Lord knows what at home where they can't say anything but they are allowed to make up stories about this guy like what a confusing experience for a child like what well, kind of covers anybody. up it covers up what's actually happening at home drives <laughs> me insane it drives me nuts I hate that like that first uh, kid might have actually been abused probably like. With the with the rates of like childhood sexual assault or like childhood sexual abuse and stuff, like I wouldn't be surprised. But like they're yelling at the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. Ugh, drives me nuts. Yeah, but the doctor that did the examinations was from the same organization that Key was, and uh, disregarded that there was any possibility that it like could have been from other, anywhere other than the preschool. Just didn't take that into consideration whatsoever and said that 80% of the children examined had been molested purely based on her belief that quote, any conclusion should validate the child's history, which was basically saying that there's no point in doing a medical exam because I'm going to take them at their word and I'm going to believe them despite the fact that they only started saying this after two hours of interrogation. I mean, investigation. 
So no. that was pointless. Uh, yeah. That's like diagnosed. Like a bunch of kids as having been molested based on no physical evidence, based purely on their testimony that they didn't come up with. Yeah. Gonna no. lose my freaking mind. No, and I mean, I'm just looking up quickly when rape kits were um, actually in, like, they were look- invented. Mm-hmm. So, in this case, rather than a rape kit as we kind of know it today, the doctor used a coposcope, which is a kind of magnifying device to check for microscarring in the genitals. Um and so she used this on the children being examined and claimed to find scars that were proof of sexual abuse. But other race uh, researchers would later insist that that type of scarring she found was super normal in all children, regardless of whether they had been abused or not. Okay, so it was developed in Chicago in the mid-1970s in order to provide a more uniform protocol for evidence collection. So around this same time is when, like, our idea of a rape kit... Was, was actually, popular. yeah. So she could have used that and instead used a microscope to look for scarring. Was this in the 70s or the 60s? Because I know the satanic panic this was kind in the of... 80s. This was in 83. Okay, so 83 technically she could have so actually, she could have used years. an actual one. Yeah. Um. Interesting to note that it was... Originally researched and proposed by a woman who was a victim advocate and founder of Chicago Citizens for Victims Assistance Organization and herself a sexual assault survivor. Cool. That's one way of using what happened to you for good rather than a panic. Love that. Love that way of taking your power back. Yeah. So, yeah. So, she found a bunch of scars that she insisted were sexual abuse. Uh, Other researchers looked at them and said that they were perfectly normal and they weren't indicators of sexual abuse at all. So, that's, you know, doesn't prove or confirm really much of anything. How Uh, many scars do we each have from our childhood? Because we, I don't know, fell on the playground. Right, but this is scars, like, in the genitalia. So, it's like... Her theory was that um, they, yeah. That I was thinking maybe she's found, like, scars, there. like, around, like, their wrists or something that would have been, like, oh, oh no, yeah, no, they, no. they were actually, like, bound while being, no, no. because, like, of the looking... crazy <laughs> stories. No, 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 no. sorry. You were, looking at, you were looking up uh, rape kits when I, when I described it, but it's, like, a microscopic camera, essentially, that she used to look for, like, microscarring in, in the kids' genitalia. Okay. So... Um, but it's the kind of scars that uh, other researchers said were very normal. That it's just your body stretching and growing, and like it's just it's normal. Like it's, it's possibly not just thing from like kids in the womb yeah. or something, right? Like right, like, kids' fingernails are sharp. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Like it's yeah. So yeah, they said that like you can't tell whether or not a child has been sexually abused based on those. Um, so that evidence is again like not really like hard hitting like it's still weak evidence like there's nothing that's like yes this happens um yeah so they examined children pulled evidence out of thin air and even if the evidence had been found that a few kids were abused it was thin at best and connected to the wrong abuser at worst basically the summary of everything i just said uh which means that 
child wouldn't have actually been helped because instead of investigating the actual abuse, they were assuming it was Ray and chasing him down instead of whoever actually hurt those kids, uh, like we talked about before. And some of the claims that, yeah, and some of the claims that the kids started making were wild. One boy claimed Ray took the children from the preschool to his house and let lions loose in order to threaten them into obedience. One child was asked to point out his abuser from a selection of photographs, and he did not point at Ray, but rather Chuck Norris. <clears throat> that was his. That was who he identified in his police lineup. Uh, and if they said they weren't involved but mentioned someone else by name as a means of satisfying the adult, they were labeled as going through a phase of saying that it happened to someone else, but they were certainly molested and just not ready to admit it to themselves. So the parents decided for these kids that they had, in fact, been molested. And no one questioned where Ray got these lions from? There's no evidence of him having lions, and I can't believe I have to say that. Like, <laughs> like... He's just a guy. He's just a guy. He's just a guy that worked in a daycare because his mom worked in, like, his mom owned the daycare, right? Like, and his grandma founded it. Like, it's like, he's just a guy. He's just a normal, random California guy. Like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it gets, like, there's so much. There's so much. Um, yeah. So, after the initial interview, the kids were often sent to counseling, where most of these methods, uh, as well as some recovered memory therapy, were employed. And a lot of these kids ended up as witnesses or alleged victims in the trial. Like, it was so clear that the kids were manipulated into this. Like, this whole thing was ridiculous. And poor Ray, like... It's just, can you imagine just like working your job and then all of a sudden someone's like, all of a sudden someone's like, I think you have secret rooms and you're like abusing children in there. And it's like, okay, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about Ray specifically for a little bit. He was 28 when this whole thing started and was described as tall, thin, and likable. He enjoyed working with kids and was really surprised to hear he was being investigated for molestation. The only incident that he said that he could think of was an incident where a little girl ran up to him and grabbed him uh, inappropriately while her father, like, watched and let her. Yeah. And that was, like, the only thing that he could think of as, like, possibly why he could be, like, investigated for it. Um, but all of a sudden, it was like the whole town had turned against him. Everyone was coming up with stories about him. No one seemed to notice that none of the kids he worked with uh, seemed to have a problem with him or offered up any stories. It all came from the adults. Some local priests bought into the sat satanic conspiracy and held meetings with parents telling them about signs and risks of child abuse, saying to especially look for caregivers that seem to just be normal, kind-hearted caretakers, which only fuels the fear-mongering. Like, it's... <sighs> Just basically don't trust anybody with your children ever. If you're not the one raising your kids, then, like, yeah, you messed up. <laughs> when I think it's, like, that kind of, I like, thought process, like, it was in the past that, yeah, like, if you're not raising your kids, you're a problem. Right. Then it kind of got, became, like, okay, we can kids to daycares have other people look after our kids it's okay and then then it kind of became back again of well hang on if you're not staying home and watching and looking after your kids like you're not a good parent or you're right. putting the, or you're putting them into situations that could be dangerous and blah, blah 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 where it's like 
okay, let's maybe come back to the idea of anyone can take a look, like, look and look after our kids. They're not <laughs> always in danger. We're yeah, not bad right? parents for having to have someone help us out. <laughs> and this is the thing, like someone, uh, someone in the comments of a documentary I was watching about this, um, uh, pointed out that like, this is after, you know, the feminist movement kind of took off women were in the workforce we needed daycares in order to be in the workforce if we wanted to be a parent and also have a job you needed daycares and kind of trash talking them and like tearing them down like with all these like cases of false abuse all this paranoia around it was a lot of it came from it being a new thing that we weren't used to and it kind of ended up being just another tool to be like, oh, you put your kids in daycare. You didn't quit your job to raise your children. Yeah. Mm, shame, shame, shame. Like, just let parents, let's let parent, parent, let, I can say words, let parents parent how they want. Like, as long as it's not damaging to the child, like, you know, if you if your kid needs to go to daycare, if you need that second job, like, you know, just it's it's you gotta do what you gotta do. Just people are gonna make different choices than you. Let yeah. them. Oh, <laughs> totally. It's ridiculous. Um. So, yeah. So he was on her investigation. Now, police searched the daycare, his home, everywhere, and they didn't find shit. No pictures of the parents alleged that he took, no torture devices, no secret rooms, no secret tunnels, no dead babies, no animal blood, no flying witches, no evidence that he beat a horse to death with a baseball bat, nothing. And yes, all of those were real allegations. Had the kids seen, like, The Wizard of Oz lately? It was like, oh, hang on, I just saw The Wizard of Oz. There's a flying witch. Maybe that's what he had. Like, Well, I think that one actually came from Michelle, from Michelle Remembers. Okay. The book. Yeah, I think that one actually came from like that. Like some some of them, I I suspect that the flying witches came from that, because um, that was alleged to have happened while they were doing like a satanic ritual. So gotcha. I think that one ties in very closely. So someone lit directly. the ver- like the uh, the black candle, called <laughs> forth the Sanderson sisters during the satanic ritual. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, no, it was like the teachers were witches and they were flying around. Like, (laughs) right? So, like, and literally, like, yeah. They tore the daycare apart looking for anything, and I mean anything, and they literally tore it apart. Like, tore it down looking for secret rooms and secret tunnels where the abuse allegedly happened. They never found any of it. No, because it never happened. Because it never happened. And yet it still somehow went to trial. They I'm had su- no evidence. I'm actually kind of surprised that no one actually went and like added a secret room or a secret tunnel or something. Me like with how they interrogated the kids. Like I'm super right? surprised that nobody actually okay. went and like planted shit. They tried. They tried. They went looking for it. They found the sewer system and they're like secret tunnels. Like it was like it's insane. And then you go to the city hall. You get the sewer things and it's like oh no this has been here since like the 1800s it's ridiculous i can't so okay so people began rallying around the phrase we believe the children which as i said before is ironic because no one bothered to actually listen to the children 
uh, until the manipulation started kicking and they began telling adults the crazy stories that they were apparently looking for. Um, so Ray Bucky, his mother Peggy, his sister Peggy and Bucky, uh, Virginia McMartin and three other teachers were charged with 115 counts of child abuse. Mm-hmm. So, and that later was expanded to 321 counts involving 48 children, still with no evidence of any of it. And this is all just the one preschool. Yeah. This is all just the one preschool. How many children, like, how many staff and how many children did they have in this? I a message to 200 parents. This was, uh, these allegations, like, this was a good chunk of the staff. Um, this is a big, like, this is almost like an actual, like, elementary school almost like it's not not quite like it's a pretty sizable preschool um but they interviewed kids that weren't currently students as well they okay so they they interviewed like alumni that preschool as well okay so like kids that were like out of preschool at that point but had gone to that preschool before um did they also like interview the babies that were going to be on their way to the preschool (laughs) like Funny that you mentioned that because one of the here's a premonition that I have as a two month old that I'm going to be one of the prosecutors. Let me find the quote. I put it in here because I just couldn't pass it up. Uh, one of the prosecutors uh, said about Key McFarland, like the woman who was doing all the interviews, um, said speci- like a quote from a prosecutor about her is that Key McFarland can make a six month old baby say he was molested. <laughs> It's like even the even the prosecution knew some like like they were changing my diaper and they touched me inappropriately. I don't even know, dude. <laughs> I'm not saying she did, but like they were saying that like she could have. Yeah, like, no, I know. I'm just, she, I'm just like the way that she insisted. I'm just like thinking of what the baby could have said. Like, let me this watch you change life. your baby's diaper to see if you're like, oh, you you touched it. <laughs> Yes, because I kind of had to clean it. He must have been molested. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. It's, yeah. All right. So, uh, still no evidence of anything. Okay, so the book that I talked about at the beginning, Michelle remembers. So, the authors of that book met with the parents and the children about the case. And allegedly, uh, I will say allegedly because I don't have proof of this, allegedly influenced the testimonies on top of everything else. So some of the stories that came forward, the authors spoke to the parents and children while it was under investigation. So they were like triply influenced, basically? Yeah, yeah pretty much, yeah. Fucking yeah. Christ. Mm-hmm. Literally all the adults, it's literally all the adults. None of the kids had like really had much to do with this besides just being the mouthpiece of the puppets that the adults were playing with. Like that's like it's it's literally the adults being the driving force behind all of this. There are things that you can use your children for. These things are <laughs> like not part of it. Well, like, you know, like how you have, like... Adorable Instagram photos? Yes, like, I agree. You have, like, adorable Instagram... Well, I don't, I don't, I'm not too keen on, like, putting kids on social media and using them on, like, your social media. But, like... Fair enough. Like, you know, like, how you'd have people where they, they take their kids and, their, and the dog out for a walk in order to meet women or whatever, right? Because, like, <laughs> look, I have a cute kid. <laughs> 
technically morally questionable, but like I said, you can your use point. them to get kids' <laughs> meals where it's like, hey, I'm gonna have a kids' meal to go with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> because, yes, the freaking McDonald's adult kids' meals are not in Canada. So we Seriously? can't get them. We cannot get adult kids' no. meals unless we go down to the friggin' States. I'm such a child. I was looking forward to that. It's okay. Um, Monopoly starts, so. Yeah, I'll keep getting the kids' ones. I don't give a fuck. Um, <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> and I used the children to, like, my, my nieces in order to get in order to get more of it's the so McDonald's sad. kids' meals that had all the Pokemon cards. <laughs> I also took Pokemon cards that my nephews didn't want, so, like, Fair play. <laughs> my mom and I tried, like, being like, we'll trade you this card for that one, because we'd already looked up to see which cards are going to be the most lucrative um, if we had multiples oh, of them. Like, what was going to be the most lucrative uh, money-wise <laughs> later on? That's hilarious. Uh, okay. So this case actually took not one, but two trials to get to the bottom of. The first taking uh, three, it was like, three years-ish of investigation and then three years of trial and then the second one taking just a few months. My God. Uh, Yeah. So the evidence... And, oh, yeah, and uh, Ray was arrested and, like, in prison for, like, five-plus years. Um, Some of the others uh, went to jail for a little while, but most of the teachers, besides Ray and his mother, Peggy... Um, the other teachers were largely, uh, acquitted pretty early on. So, do, 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 uh, yeah, so the evidence was all just as weak and, uh, as the children's inconsistent testimonies and the defense attorneys tried to have it all thrown out, but the judge wouldn't let that happen. The public outcry was too much, so he allowed all the inconsistent testimonies to stay. A new district attorney took office in 1986 uh, and did call the evidence incredibly weak um, and dropped all charges against Ray's sister and the other teachers, at least one of whom was eventually allowed to have her teaching credentials reinstated. But Ray and his mother had to see the case through. The first DA wouldn't have pulled that same move and, like, let them you know, mm-hmm. realized that it was that they had nothing to do with it. The prosecution had multiple experts, expert witnesses, and the defense wanted to have s- several witnesses themselves, but the judge limited them to one to save time. And then the prosecution gloated that they had multiple experts and the defense only had one and treated that as if it had something to do with the validity of the defense. Doesn't it... it- I, in a way, I would understand the idea of saving time if it was going to be costing you a lot of money. But I think the D, like, 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 the more that the DA ends up are in an actual courtroom, I think they get paid more money. So basically, they're just like, we're done with this whole thing. We just want it to kind of get through because we want to just keep the people happy that are outside who are going to, I think DAs are elected. Or like the people uh, who yeah. elect them are elected so. by the people. <laughs> it's like it's a political move. It's definitely yeah. like a they don't they don't want the parents voting against them situation. Um, and like let's talk about the stuff that the parents are doing afterwards as well. But like 
To say that one side is only allowed to have one witness to defend themselves feels really scummy to me. Like, um, I may not yeah. be an expert in the law, but that can't be right. Like, that's, like, like to, to allow one side had, like, 50 only million to have witnesses. one and the other to have, like, six or seven. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't get that. Like, yeah. Well, wasn't this a criminal case? Yeah. Yeah. This is a criminal investigation. These were criminal yeah. charges. So, like, yeah, you kind of need more than one fucking witness. Unless you only have one witness. They, but no, still, they, they, they have. More. They had more people that they wanted to bring to the witness stand. Yeah. They wanted to bring Judy Johnson's son to the witness stand, witness stand, but his father wouldn't let him. He said it would be too hard on the kid, which, like, fair, it would have been. But also, like, that it wasn't until after this case that... um there, there was a law that was created that allowed children to testify through a closed circuit TV yeah. rather than actually being in the courtroom to make it less distressing for the child. So at this point, they were just like, oh, it's going to stress out the kid, though. It's like this man's entire career is like getting shit on right now. Like, yeah, well, and now we have like the facility dogs and stuff to make it easier on them where it's like, yeah. OK, you're going to need to testify even in a closed circuit room. Yeah. Here's a puppy too. <laughs> Yeah, like, let's make it safe and let's make it, like, like, as comfortable as we can. It's not going to be comfortable. Yeah, they weren't going to make it comfortable. Not after a two-hour investigation, like, interrogation. Right? But there was so much shady stuff that happened. Um, The prosecution also had a jailhouse informant on their side who claimed Ray confessed to him while sharing his cell before the informant tried to flee the country and later admitted to lying in that case, as well as others, in exchange for immunity... Two previous charges of perjury. <laughs> like, they paid he lied right in guy. court in <laughs> order to gain immunity for lying in court. And that's your witness? Well, they picked like, the right is, person. This witness was allowed for the prosecution, but the defense couldn't have more than one. Yes. As we I said, don't political. Understand. I don't understand. So... <sighs> Yeah. So that happened. This part, I literally wrote a note. I said, I'm going to lose my mind. I always forget how rage-inducing this story is until I get into it. (laughs) So Ray himself pointed out while he was on the stand that he wasn't even teaching at the time some of the alleged abuse happened. After three years of testimony and nine weeks of deliberation, Peggy was cleared on all counts. Ray was cleared on 52 of the 65 remaining counts and released on bail after being in jail for five years already. 11 out of 13 jurors wanted to acquit Ray, but the remaining two wouldn't let that happen and voted guilty. They were deadlocked. Take a wild guess who the media focused on. The two. The two. One public television poll uh, showed 87% of respondents, don't know how big their polling you know, group is, um, but 87% of respondents thought that Ray and Peggy were guilty and there was public outcry to retry them. There was no evidence to begin with. Yep, yep. Peggy was acquitted. They were like, we're not touching her. She's fine. We've like, you know, she's, she's in the clear. Uh, but Ray was retried because of this on six of the 13, re- like, f- remaining charges. God, 
you know, yep. of the ones that he hadn't uh, already been acquitted for. So this trial only lasted for a few months and resulted in a mistrial. Uh, the district attorney finally dropped the case and it was closed with all charges dismissed, which, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that he's innocent. It just means that they don't have enough evidence to prove anything. Uh, and he spent five years in jail without ever being convicted. Nope, that sounds about right. <sighs> Unfortunately for that time. Well, and for the U.S. Like, system. I can't say I'm surprised, but I am surprised that it went this far. Like, this is a lot. Like, Yeah, but, like, there were a lot of preschool and other, like, at daycare, even elementary, like, actual, like, school, school teachers and stuff who were all being accused and those ones who spent like almost like their entire lives in prison for not doing what they did which i will also put in the show notes a link to um the organization that is working with lawyers and stuff like that to get people who were part of events like this one who are still in jail for crimes that they mm-hmm. never committed because it, it it is so hard with the U.S. system to yeah. be able to have retri- retrials and be released from prison when even the system says, yeah, you didn't do it, but we don't want to put forth that time and effort to get you out of pr- jail. You can just hang out. Which is ridiculous considering all the other things that are messed up with the prison system to know that there's so many innocent people in there as well is endlessly infuriating yeah and they talk about like overcrowding and how there's so many criminals and it's like yeah but you have innocent people in there there, that might help (laughs) like you don't need to build more jails just get the innocent people out of jail (laughs) crazy concept let people live their lives when they haven't done anything get them some Uh, mental health counseling and stuff like that for after being in jail as any kind of social support whatsoever like because they may have gone in innocent they're not coming out innocent yeah right and then like how easy is it to break parole when all the rules are so so strict and unreasonable and you're expected to get a job but you're not allowed to leave within 25 miles of your home and like you know like There's so many things, like, coming out of prison as well that make it so difficult for you to stay out, even if you have the best intentions, even if you've, like, been reformed or you really, like, weren't, didn't do anything wrong in in the first place, like... It's also really easy if you have an ankle monitor. It is super easy to get those off, apparently. Actually? Yes, because there's a case right now where they're still trying to find a guy... Who and who did like the biggest U.S. Navy embezzlement thing? And he just he had moving vans coming to his house for days. Oh, you told me about this. And yeah, then he yeah. cut off his ankle. He took off his ankle monitor and fled, and Vanished. they can't find him. Disappeared. And so right where it's That's like, wild. and they said it's easy to take off, and they actually noticed. Oh, the ankle monitor is off. And then an hour later, went to go searching for him. And gone. It's wild. All right. So, yeah. So a little bit of behind the scenes on this case. So one of the prosecutors from the first trial quit working the case partway through in protest to its gross mishandling. His name was Glenn Stevens, and he did pretty much all he could uh, 
to kind of remedy this situation. Um, he interviewed for a documentary that was being filmed about the case while it was happening and revealed that the prosecution withheld important evidence from the defense, including Judy Johnson's diagnosis for the like for most of the first three years. So they just didn't tell the defense that, oh yeah, by the way, she's also diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. Like, might be helpful to know. Right? <laughs> so that was super important that they left out. Um, they didn't, they withheld what the initial allegations even were, that her son wasn't able to point out Ray from a series of photographs, and that Judy was mentally ill before the start of the trial, which was important because the prosecution had argued when they finally did disclose her paranoid schizophrenia that it was due to the events of the trial, which was a lie. Yeah, so Glenn Stevens also accused the first deputy district attorney on the case of withholding evidence and lying in order to prevent Ray and Peggy from being exonerated. I don't know why half of these people treated this case the way that they did. It was such a witch hunt. Yeah. I, I really think Ray just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and somehow turned into a scapegoat for the mass paranoia induced by the satanic panic. The media largely took the whole thing at face value and sided with the prosecution completely. Two reporters who were covering the case later entered relationships with people on the prosecution side after being like super um, like on board with the prosecution and super critical of the defense. It turned out that they were actually in a relationship with the people on the prosecution, which is just shady as hell. Um, yep. So one uh, one was a reporter that entered a relationship with Key McFarlane, and one was with one of the prosecutors. Uh, so even the own, so even the prosecution's own team acknowledged that some bullshit was happening. Like, but the public at large was convinced from day one. Yeah. So, what happened to the accused? What's the aftermath? Reputations, careers, dead, gone. Uh, like, now, this is on Ray's, Ray's file that there's a five-year gap in his resume because he was in prison for charges of molestation. Like, he's never working in childcare again. No. Um, there's something approaching a happy ending for him, though. Ray went to law school after this whole debacle, changed his name, and moved far away to live with his wife and son, hopefully healing from this experience and living a much happier anonymous life. His mother, unfortunately, fast passed away only 10 years after this whole nightmare ended at the age of 74. Probably due to, partially due to the stress of this shit. Uh, like, extremely likely. I would not be surprised. She, uh, like, pictures of her, she looks like just, like, a sweet little old granny. Like, she, like, uh, yeah. Um, but after the trial ended, she's quoted as saying, uh, I've gone through hell and now we've lost everything. And that's kind of how it ended up for her. It's tragic. She spent her entire life taking care of kids. Um, his sister was the one who was able to continue her teaching career as a special education teacher because she did that predominantly and then kind of helped on the day at the daycare on the weekends. Like yeah. I said, family business. Um, so she was able to go back to doing that. Uh, about the children, Ray said immediately after it happened that those poor children went through hell, but I'm not the cause of their hell and neither is my mother. The cause of their hell is the adults who took this case and made it what it was. Yeah. 
The children, now adults themselves, have been described as, quote, happy, well-adjusted people, even though some of them still maintain that they were victims of abuse, uh, but none of them can recall what the abuse, like, they don't have any memories personally of it happening, but they all maintain that they were victims of abuse after because being told, they were told that your entire that life. <laughs> I can kind of take a guess at why. One of them came forward in 2005 saying, quote, Never did anyone do anything to me, and I never saw them doing anything. I said a lot of things that didn't happen. I lied. Anytime I would give them an answer they didn't like, they would ask again and encourage me to give them the answer they were looking for. I felt uncomfortable and a little ashamed that I was being dishonest. But at the same time, being the type of person I was, whatever my parents wanted me to do, I would do. And yeah, like that's the biggest moment of clarity from anyone. But yeah, like any one of them that could have come out of this. What's kind of sad, though, is there's also the question of how much of that, like, I'm hoping that they actually do remember and stuff. But like how much of that quote as an adult is because of the media coverage and stuff like that. And like what we know now, it, like, about, like or like by the time that they made that quote, what they knew about the case then right like like it's kind of it's because i'm like i know like for me like a lot of my childhood memories are ones Mm -hmm. because of the stories that we've told about them or pictures that i've seen right or whatever so i'm like i wonder if that person like i'm hoping that it is that yes they can say it but also is it that okay they're like hey i know this fact about this case so yeah. it must be, ch- and I'll well, put it in my statement. all the other kids kind of did the opposite, right? Like they, like, like you said, a lot of what I remember about my early childhood days were stories that were told to me about my early childhood days. But I can tell which ones I remember from my perspective and which ones I only remember because I was told it, right? So all the other kids that grew up, like, pretty much all of them that would talk about it. <laughs> that's the other thing too is not all of them would talk about it but the ones that would talk about it they maintained that they were abused but they didn't have any of their own memories of being abused yeah so i think that's the thing that you're talking about where it's like they remember the stories about it with this with this one it sounds to me like he's like these are words that you use when you're speaking out of personal experience i felt right like no one can tell you how you felt about a situation, no. but kid, kids will remember. Yeah, no, no, like, I'm just thinking that, like, with, like, the like, them saying that this is what they did, mm. right? Like, okay, like, do you, like, as if I was, like, there's, like, those two sides of the coin, right? Where I'm, like, I'm hoping that, yes, yeah. you remember that they did this, right? Yeah. Like, I can, like, 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 like I don't lie. dispute that you felt uncomfortable, blah, 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 and stuff, Right. But, like, yeah. the actual, like, facts of it, mm-hmm. right? Like, how much yeah. of it is that you're remembering those facts and how much of it is that you, that, that like, you learned those facts and you're like, oh, this must be what happened. Like, in a similar way, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess, like, it does work for both. I just, with there being, like, with how extreme the allegations were, with how there's, like, no evidence of them happening, like, yeah. whatsoever, like... I, I I tend to lean towards believing him and taking him that like yeah this yeah is no I believe him it's just like it's just like okay like yeah 
<laughs> yeah. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. If it applies to one, it applies to both. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, you know this, but I'll restate this for the audience. Uh, remember, this was not the only case like this. This was kind of the the biggest from a media perspective. It was certainly one of the most memorable, absolutely. But it was far from being the only one. Many teachers, childcare workers, babysitters, and even parents lost their children, their credentials, and their year and years of their lives to these extreme allegations and bad faith practices. It serves as a warning and a reminder. Innocent until proven guilty doesn't mean what we pretend it, that it means. We have to be vigilant, hear out both sides, and if something sounds absolutely absurd, investigate it. Let's not be passing judgment without a fair trial. There are real cases of sexual assault, and they don't deserve to be dismissed, but neither do innocent people deserve to bear the punishment for false allegations. Yeah. No, for sure. And like, as I said, I'll post the organization link in our show notes as well. Um, in case anybody wants to take a look at like the facts, see what the system's like, um, and you can even help out. They have like various ways that you can help out as well for getting innocent people their lives back as much as you can. Yeah. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. No, like it's, it's a lot. I can't, like, yeah, I can't imagine just like working my job and then just having one day just some person throw any allegations, even close to these at me without having actually done it and not being able to defend myself and then going into a system that's actively preventing me from defending myself. I can't imagine the pain and like just the frustration, the helplessness that you would, that you would be feeling going through that situation. No, I agree. But yeah, daycares during the satanic panic. Fun. Fun. Fun stuff. Aw, Simba. Sleeping in the sun like a big old baby. She just looks so happy and content. I think I can show you. Thank you for knowing. Loves being a little low. <laughs> no. <laughs> At least she's not trying to, like, rip apart the couch. Well, she's not even trying to yeah. rip apart the couch, but, like, when she gets, like, hyper now... She seems to like to just like try to like attack the couch and like pull herself along the couch and <laughs> so I'm like no 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 less yeah all right now that we've looked at the depressing well <laughs> depressing like, scary side of the satanic panic did we want to have a little bit of fun. <laughs> Yeah, like it's it's dark. I do feel like some of it was like so ludicrous and so ludic- ridiculous that it kind of like circles back into just being absurd. Um, but yeah, the, the effects of it are certainly dark. Um, yeah. Yeah, so let's circle back. Let's talk about Dungeons and Dragons for a little while and nerd out over that. Yeah. Also, I just got a text from Sue while we're recording this episode. She's listening to our last one. And she said, oh, a note on Mary Shelley's dad marrying a widow. It's super common for a widow to marry another widow. Physiologically, they connect because they've both been through a similar experience. So that is a good perspective to have. So, yeah. Shout out to Sue. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's get into some fun with Dungeons and Dragons. So, D&D was first published in 1974, created by Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson. Gary's son, Luke, is still majorly involved in the game today, um, after his father's death in 2008. It was first published under Tactical Studio Rules Incorporated, created by Gygax, in order to self-publish the game due to a lack of interest by major game publishers. But in 1997, Wizards of the Coast took over the publishing for the game, um, assisting in the popularity resurgence that we have seen in recent years. Um, Wizards of the Coast now also owns um, Magic the Gathering, and I think both of them are technically now owned by Hasbro. So, like, Wizards of the Coast is now just underneath of Hasbro. And you can find it, like, everywhere in the stores. Like, you don't even have to go to, like, your local game store. You can go to Chapters. You can go on Amazon. you got, like, tons of mm-hmm. stuff at, like, any store, basically. 
As someone who plays Pathfinder rather than D&D, that drives me absolutely nuts because you can't find Pathfinder stuff anywhere, but you can find D&D everywhere. I think I've seen Pathfinder at chapters. I haven't. But you have, I think you have like a Kohl's, don't you? You don't have like the bigger store. We have a Kohl's. We don't yeah, have so the Kohl's big stock We just have a D&D. little Kohl's near us. Yeah. Kohl's would be yeah, more to stock in the, D&D. In the big chapters, they carry it sometimes, but mm. not in the smaller branches. See, I'm more of a D&D player. <laughs> so we have, like, all of the books. <laughs> okay. But when it comes to the satanic panic, it's no wonder that a game like Dungeons & Dragons would be high on people's lists as something to blame. A lot of the creatures and characters that players encounter are forms of devils and other evil beings. Players can even choose to play more evil characters if they so wish, something that I personally love doing, as they have some of like the best <laughs> character arcs, whether they're leaning more towards the good side or the evil side, kind of a thing. But they have like the most fun arcs to play. <laughs> um, as Kat did kind of talk about, the panic didn't come out of nowhere. So there are many factors that caused this mass hysteria. Um, what, uh, so Kat talked about like the memoir and stuff that came out. Um, but one of the main ones was actually the fact that real serial killers were being caught left, right, and center while gaining massive media attention. Does this sound familiar from the episodes that we did on horror literature and films? There were so many serial killers in the 80s. That's true. Ah, hang on. I'm going to talk about that, though. (laughs) Um, so, but this time, rather than having, like, Jack the Ripper, we had the Manson family. So, yep. oh man, <laughs> the idea that a string of innocent people being murdered by a cult who engaged in odd rituals really helped cement the idea that anything could cause this kind of behavior, including a game of imagination. There were also the serial killers who could blend into society super easy, like the Zodiac Killer and Ted Bundy. Um, Zodiac used codes to communicate with the police and the public, causing suspicion over any sort of language or iconic uh, iconography that people couldn't understand slash identify. So like in D&D, the idea of Elvish um, and things like that, where you can actually have it written out um, in like a different looking language, um, would have been like, what is this? Like, so basically scripts that weren't English. Yeah. Pretty Lovely. much. Pretty much. Um, Oh, boy. Ted Bundy used his charms and good looks to keep people at ease while maintaining a good boy persona that made everyone think that he couldn't be a killer until the evidence stacked up against him and he got sloppy. Oh, boy. So, basically, it's like any one of us could be evil because these are the people that we know about that are evil, but they could have been just our next-door neighbor. Right, so just mass hysteria, not trusting anybody under any circumstances. Pretty much, yeah. But we can't blame all of this paranoia on the serial killers. There actually wasn't a rise in numbers of killers during, like, the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. As we kind of looked at a little bit with yours, it was the media coverage that made it seem as bad as it looked. The more interesting a story was, the more papers sold. News programs on television also saw a rise, as well as technology allowed more immediate, more visual coverage to be broadcasted. So seeing these crimes is much different than just hearing or reading about them. In fact, 
Ted Bundy's trial was the first ever to be televised, bringing over 250 members of the media into the courtroom while millions of people were glued to their televisions at home. He is still considered he is still considered one of the most top watched trials ever. That makes sense. So people were like in it. Like this was like the start <laughs> of like our true crime obsessions basically. Well, yeah, as soon as you put it on TV, so many things that were like not things that we did, like it happened in the 60s of the Vietnam War as well, right? Where it was the first war that uh, we had like video cameras for. It was the first one that the average person could see that it wasn't just the soldiers that saw the effects of it anymore. It was everybody, right? Yeah. Um, the same thing happened with, uh, what's his name? JFK. Uh, yeah. He was one of the first or probably the first president who was largely voted for because people could see what he looked like. His charm finally uh, had... Uh, like that charming appeal that he had um, played a huge part in his getting elected. Um, Cause before that it was kind of just credentials and beliefs and standpoints. Whereas now it was like a lot of people said that they voted for him because he was the kind of, he felt like the kind of guy that you could sit down and have a beer with. And you never would have said that about any of the past presidents before him. Except for. Except. Wasn't it in Hamilton with, John Madden or something where they have that line like where they're talking about like the <laughs> candidates and they're like like as ever they're like you could have to sit down and have a beer with him and then Aaron sure Burr comes through and they're like who the fuck are you we don't want to do anything with you <laughs> <laughs> okay but one Not of the first enough. cases that involved D&D in the in this panic um, was an investigation into a missing college student so, James Dallas Egbert III suddenly disappeared from his dorm room at Michigan State University in 1979. He was 16 years old. Now, I'm not sure about the 1970s, but I'm trying to kind of figure out how a 16-year-old was attending Michigan State and not in high school. I'm guessing he was just like a friggin' genius, but... I have the same question. Like, he's, like, a year or two ahead. Alright, okay, go for it, kid. I can't remember for, like, the states, but I'm pretty sure usually, like, 18 is when you're going off and, like, living in a dorm and stuff. Like, generally, like, if you... Like, um... I, w- I was technically 17 when I graduated because my birthday hadn't happened yet. I'm a summer baby. Um, so, like, in cases like that, I could kind of see it. But, like, 16 is young. Like, yeah. Um, unfortunately, though, he was also suffering from mental health issues and drug addiction already at this time. So his parents hired a private investigator to find him. And the number one reason that they came up with for his disappearance was the fact that he played D&D. Oh, for pity's sake. Okay. Couldn't be the fact that he was pushed into college at 16, but no, no, no. D&D, that's... Yeah, it couldn't be the fact that he (laughs) was in college at 16, so already a social pariah. Like, I remember going into high school at 11, um, where we decided to try that I would actually go into the school because I'm a November baby and I was a year ahead. So I was 11. And I remember feeling super young and not really taken seriously by a lot of people unless they 
didn't know my age, like my math teacher, because I was helping like the 15, 16 year olds who were still taking math eight. (laughs) And my mom had to talk to him at the parent teacher meetings where she's like, you do know she's 11, right? And he's like, but she's the smartest one in the classroom and helping the ones who keep failing. Wow. (laughs) Like, where I'm like, I'm uncomfortable with these 15, 16 year olds, but I'll help them if I can. Oh, man. So, like, he had that against him. He was doing drugs. Like, he had a drug addiction and suffering from mental health issues. Couldn't have been any of those things. No, but let's blame Dungeons and Dragons. Or just, I don't know, the stress. Let's blame the board game. Like, I'm pretty sure your freshman year at a, a, like, a big university would be stressful as hell. Especially at 16. I can't imagine. Um, but in actuality, um, Egbert had hidden himself away in the utility tunnels under the school in order to take refuge. He ultimately took his own life in the 1980s while he was, like, still under, like, under the school in these tunnels. I'm like, why would you not be searching the tunnels? How did he hide that well in these tunnels? Okay, so there... Okay, so in this one, there are secret tunnels, but no one thinks it's, like, anything about that. Okay, so They're not really secret. They're not really secret. Like, they're, like, the utility tunnels. So, like, people are going through these tunnels pretty much regularly to keep... And he was just chilling down there. Somehow he hid himself away. I mean, sure. So, I'm gonna guess genius. Poor kid. Um... (laughs) A lot of people still believed that it was the role-playing game that pushed him to the edge, and the private detective even used it to his advantage in the media to garner more attention. Oh, please. Multiple books were written about the case, mm-hmm. and interestingly enough, sales of D&D books actually rose during the time period <laughs> because it was talked about so it's much that people were like, this sounds interesting, we're going to go play it, and so they went and it's, bought it's- a pile of the books. <laughs> It's the same thing with banned books. Banning books is never going to do the thing you think it's going to do. It's not going to make the book obsolete. It is only going to increase curiosity in the book. It is only going to increase people wanting to get their hands on it. Yeah. That's all it's ever going to do. That's all it's ever done. Exactly. Um, so what really started the campaign against D&D, though, was an organization started by a grieving mother called BAD. Uh Bad stood for Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. So it's little, so it's like B-A-D-D. It's, yep, that's, that's an acronym that they chose. Yep. That was a choice that they made. <laughs> um, the organization described D&D as, quote, a fantasy role-playing game which uses demonology, witchcraft, murder, satanic-like rituals, and demon summoning. Now, if it actually did do those things, I would be playing it more often out of curiosity <laughs> to see. Okay, but, like, the thing is, like, that's, some of that stuff is in there, that's true. Some of that stuff is the bad guys, and some of that is you just, like, using magic for good, kind of in the same way that, like, Harry Potter had witches. Like, the witches weren't necessarily bad guys, right? Like, it's yeah. not necessarily dark magic. None of it is real. All of it is fake. It's all pretend. None of it matters. It's just a game. It's just making up a story. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, I took a English literature class 
where it was actually like about like your witch like your witchcraft and stuff like that in English literature. And one right. of the classes, um, our professor using um like actual um like from the time an actual like demon summoning ritual like we actually sat down he had it all laid out but then he had his co-teacher who was a very devout christian who would do like the here's the other side of this Mm. right um he had to come for that where he would sit and he sat and he would do like the warding off kind of a thing right and refuse to let the teacher do the actual full ritual where it's like you have to miss this step so that it actually will not work Yep, that's um, good. Where we were, a lot of us were very that's much terrifying. like, but this is, but what, we want to see if it would actually work. Like, <laughs> Don't, I, I don't, I don't want to be there for that. I, I still have the eye. book, I, I still have like the book with the ritual. Can you stop being the person in the horror movies that runs into the haunted house? You're going to get yourself killed. <laughs> Here's the thing though, I wouldn't actually run into a haunted house. I am scared shitless of haunted houses. But so I actually wouldn't do that, but I would <laughs> <laughs> but I would be the one that would light the black flame candle just for fun. <laughs> You're gonna get yourself killed. Okay. But yeah, so this all stemmed from the suicide of Patricia Pulling's son, Irving. Irving had a tough time fitting in with his peers and took his own life as a way to get away from it all. His mom was convinced that his death was actually because of the role-playing game and that a curse that his principal had put on this character was real. Oh, dear Lord. I'm going to guess that the principal was actually running the club. Like, I'm guessing the principal was actually running the club because why else would a school principal be putting D&D curses on their students? (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, no, the DM. The principal was definitely the DM. Uh, Like, the principal was definitely the DM, but it's like... the. Like, you're literally going to... Like, I just, yeah, toxic parents will do anything to avoid taking responsibility for, like, the mental health of their kids. Like, I... Please. (laughs) So, it actually went fairly far because Patricia ended up suing Gygax's publishing company and the principal for her son's death. Oh, me. Tell me that did not go through. It did, didn't it? I'm going to... It probably did. I'm going to say that she was unsuccessful because every article that I read about it uses the term tried when they talk about the lawsuit. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. That's fair. We'll take that as a a hint towards her non-success. Yeah. (laughs) That didn't stop bad, though. Um, So in an attempt to remove the RPG game from society for good... They pushed out a media campaign that honestly did more harm to them than to D&D. Of course they did. Their campaign included a spot on the popular news program 60 Minutes, which still runs, um, where they sat down with Gygax to express their views. Michael Stackpole, um, an author at the time, ended up publishing something called The Pulling Report that listed out every single error he could find that Bad made during their campaign, as well as calling out Patricia on her lack of credentials when she was calling herself an expert on games. Oh my word! That's amazing! That's savage! I'm like, I love you. (laughs) 
And it was That's actually kind of, like, hilarious, just, like, kind of, like, reading through, like, little bits of, like, the report and, uh, and stuff, right? I was just like, this is hilarious. Like, oh my word. yes, please. <laughs> just reading her to filth and just being like, you actually don't know what you're talking about, and here is every single reason why. Yeah. Um, Gygax so even hired a well-known psychologist who defended the brand, reiterating that the whole purpose of the game is for good to defeat evil. Yes, that's literally, even when you are playing as an evil character, often you have the good people coming in trying to stop you, and that's the whole point, is, like, it's, it's, like, it's, it's, or you're trying to, like, defeat an even bigger evil. Like, they're, the whole point is, like, improv and like self-expression in a safe place in a way that no one's actually getting hurt like that's like the whole point mm-hmm. well and like for like to me playing like D, playing vampire the masquerade and like all the other role-playing games it's a way mm-hmm. of experiencing things that you wouldn't do in real life yeah so it's basically like okay i'm not going to do this in real life i'll do it in this form like we don't look at authors who are writing about Mm -hmm. different things and being like okay you're causing this to happen right it's like no (laughs) yeah like Like, it's not the same way like we don't think every mystery author is a serial killer because they write about serial killers like we don't think Anne rice is a serial killer because she writes about real serial killers like yeah Yeah, just the disconnect between, like, fact and fiction is interesting. Yeah. So, sadly, society still wondered about the RPG and how it could influence the younger people playing it, as it would possibly rewrite their brains, causing them to mix up fantasy and reality. You've got to be kidding me. (laughs) That is exactly, like, what they thought. That's so ironic. Um, It was also seen as devil worship by religious figures, since the game included likenesses to various gods. Wait, so hang on. Not not because... Okay, so wait. So... (laughs) Yeah. Because because there are some fake characters in the fake game that are like fake gods, therefore it's devil worship? Well, so unless you... Like, in D&D, a lot of different characters and creatures are actually based off of mythological like actual like mythological yeah. stuff I don't know, right like actual like, mythological but like from a from a christian perspective those like mythological figures are like fake gods right so like you're, you're mad about people worshiping things that you don't believe exist pretty much but then what's the like but like <laughs> but but like but then but like wait <laughs> So, so why is that devil worship, though? Because that has nothing to do with the devil. I don't know. That's just how they were spinning it. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. Sure. Um, yep. So, yeah. And then there's also, like, a major worry started by the media rumors surrounding the deaths of Egbert and Pulling that a character death would drive the player to commit suicide in order to match their fantasy character. Oh, please. How many times have we had characters die? Like, it happens all the time. Every unbalanced party is going to have one. Like it's My like... first character death, I literally was like, I want this character to die because it would work with their, 
like with what's happening for them because they were haunted. Like they had like a haunted one in their head. And so I would roll a die as to are they going to do what they would do or are they going to do what the haunted part of them would have them do. And I kept rolling that the haunted part of them was like literally doing all of their actions. So I'm like, okay, they need to like, like knowing this character, they would literally put themselves into a situation to get away from this right yeah so I'm like I could see it in a way because I'm like I have played that kind of a character but I'm like I would never do that in real life it was like okay yeah, I'm looking at my character that. in a like creative writing situation like that's that whole disconnect between like fact like mm-hmm. fiction and reality again mm-hmm. Like, but actually, now that I think about it, I actually can't think of any of my... All my characters are always on the brink of death. They're always very, very close to dying. But I don't know if any of them have actually died. I think I've only had, like, two or three... Lots of my party members. I've had, like, two or three character deaths. I've had, like, abandoned campaigns and stuff. And two of them, I was, like... I actually, like, actively put them in the... Like, where I'm, like, I want, like, like, this character's time. Like, this is what this character would do, so I'm going to put them in this situation because I know. (laughs) I think I've maybe had one where her death was kind of implied. We sort of abandoned the campaign. It was like a a homebrew campaign. We abandoned it for, like, a pre-written, like, uh, adventure path. And um, where we left off, it was kind of, like, implied that all the characters except for one had just died. I think, if I remember right. I don't know. I could not tell you for sure. Yeah. Huh. That's the perks of being married to the GM, I guess. It's super <laughs> not intentional, I guarantee it. <laughs> I haven't really let Grant GM very much for me. I usually I like to take the reins myself and put my friends and stuff into the situations where I'm like, I yeah. will take you down. <laughs> no, I've told Ben directly that, like, don't save my character just because it's me. Like, you know, don't do that. Don't do that to protect me. And, uh, like, he said that he had no intention of doing that, that I was just as at risk as everybody else. So <laughs> Yeah, when Grant and I play, we're usually, like, targeting each other. to and so, right? so, like, when I GM, I'm usually, like, my like I'm usually targeting him more than the others, and then once he's down, then I go target the other people. Maybe that's why I'm always on the brink of death. That would explain it. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so this whole situation wasn't helped when multiple youths used D and D in order to defend their own criminal actions that were actually no. driven by mental health disorders rather don't, than the game. <laughs> don't do that. So, unlike your innocent <laughs> people Our, like, pushing innocent this. D&D players, we had some fake D&D fans that were out here using it as an excuse to get away with what they wanted yeah. to do. That's messed up. Well, they actually did play D&D, and then they just used that. <laughs> That's worse. That's worse. Um, That's so, so much worse. One of these youths was part of a murder case that took place in 1984. Um, a young yep. girl was murdered by two of her peers who happened to play D&D. The one culprit claimed that he should have been allowed to use his D&D experiences in court as a defense, as the game is what accustomed him to violence and pulled him away from God. What? He also... The actual... 
He also claimed that the mind tricks he used on the victim were taught to him during sessions of D&D. He knows it's fake, right? <laughs> I guess. Like, all of it's fake. Like, it's not real magic. Like, it's all... Like, he knows that it's... He knows that it's fake, right? Apparently not. Good lord. Well, actually, I think... So, I think he was saying that, like, with how he was, like, having to... Like, well, how he was playing his character, like, it taught him how to do it in real life. Like he learned how to manipulate people? Yeah. By playing D&D? That's so toxic. We... Oh. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, another case involved a plot to kill for inheritance during 1988. Oh, my word. So, a young man attacked his stepfather and his mother so he could get his money early. His, Tell me it wasn't so that he could buy D&D. <laughs> his mother survived the attack, but his stepfather was ultimately killed. Ugh. Along with our main culprit... Two of his D&D buddies were also arrested and convicted for aiding and abetting the crimes. No. So that does not help with this whole... Not really, no. ...thing. See, the thing is, with any big trend, with any big group of people, you're going to have a few that are, like, going to misrepresent the community. You're going to have a few toxic people in any large group of people that are going to do some toxic stuff and it's going to cast a bad light on everybody else. That happens in every group of people of every kind. It doesn't matter if it's a hobby, if it's a D&D thing, if it's a religion, whatever. In any large group of people, you're always going to have a handful of people just be bad people. Yeah. Well, like, and right? I think that, like, especially at this time frame, D&D yeah. was such a niche game mm -hmm. um so you had a lot more of those outliers who like social outcasts who were yeah. using like who were using it as a social tool right right um and then they would have oh, the mental well, health problems yeah. they would have the anxiety the depression they wouldn't be accepted by society the same way yeah. in which we already know that these things can contribute to murders, suicides, Accidents. stuff like that, right? That it's not the game's oh, yeah. fault. It's more society and the lack of empathy for these kids. Yeah. And young adults, right? Like, it was like, it wasn't like this, it wasn't fully like an adult game at that point. Like, right. some adults were playing it, but it was a, it was a lot of the bigger preteens, teens who were playing it because they were the ones that were more likely to be frequenting the games, like those game stores and stuff like that and seeing yeah. it and being, and it being marketed a little bit more to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, but studies were done by organizations around the world and none of them could find a legitimate link between suicide slash crime and role-playing games. It's almost like correlation doesn't equal causation. Exactly. Crazy concept. Um, but this has not stopped many from continuing to try to ban the game from societal norms, however. As recently as 2010, a ban on D&D from a correctional institution in the USA was upheld in the Court of Appeals. So, like, in the correctional institution, they're not allowed to play D&D? Correct. 
um, because one of the correctional officers testified that the game would cause more inmate escape attempts and foster more violence within the institution. Wait, wait, more escape attempts? Yeah. That one I could actually almost see, because there's so many times when you do have to, like, escape from the bad guys and stuff in D&D. I can see yeah, how that Yeah, I can see that. creative thinking. Um, but I'm like, also, in a that way, I'm like, I'm like, maybe they wouldn't try to escape jail if they're too busy trying to escape a castle in their imaginations. True, maybe. Like, if they're just sitting there, hanging out... <laughs> They're more likely to try to escape jail being like, okay, I'm bored. Maybe just as likely. <laughs> like, oh, man. Yeah, that's interesting. I really want to know more about the connection there. Um, but, yeah, so, like, as a whole, like, today, the negative conversation around role-playing games is more towards how nerdy or geeky it is to be playing them rather than worrying about the player's sanity. <laughs> Do people still use that as an insult? Like, I... Yeah. yeah. Is that even a bad thing anymore? I feel like nerdy and geeky things have become, like, so popular that they're, they like... They have, but it's point, still also nice a little bit. Up. Yeah, it's like, still which, a little bit of nice. an insult to it. But, like, it's definitely yeah. better, but, like, that's more of the worry rather than, oh, you're going to do a satanic ritual and... <laughs> Fair. ...cause my kid to... Right? Yeah. And I think that, like, a lot of them as well, like, with, like, Vampire the Masquerade, where they're darker Mm -hmm. tales in general. um, Yeah. Like, there's mental health guides included in the books. So that the person who's running the sessions can actually help ensure a player's mental health before, during, and after the sessions. Well, and just in the DM guide as well, there's instructions as well about making your players comfortable and respecting boundaries and making sure that, like, if there's anything that is, like, any players are particularly sensitive to one topic or another, like, how to steer clear and, like, just avoid it or downplay it or whatever you got to do to make your, like, make sure your players are, like, mentally okay. Yeah. As well as the DM. Well, like, I know for, like, Vampire the Masquerade, um, a lot of times, like, before the game... Like, before they do, like, the live streams and stuff, um, they will do, like, a fun activity, then go and, like, get into their character so that it's up, right? During the session, like, they've already done all of the stuff so that Jason know, like, the storyteller, so, like, Jason Carl, who runs Vampire and stuff like that, like, he knows what he can and can't do for those characters and they always do a hey to the audience here's how to help with your mental health then after the session they do like group activities in order to get out of that mind frame that they were just in in order to come back to reality and yeah it's so much more prevalent and even like the community of tabletop rpgs as a whole are also Mm -hmm. very vocal about the need for more mental health assistance in everyday life, and many will partner with charities that work on assisting those who are struggling. Well, and because let's be honest, a lot of us are mentally, like, ill, like... Exactly. (laughs) But it's it's because we're seeking out community that we're led to D&D or, like, role-playing games, things like that. It's because we're seeking out friends, it's because we're seeking out connections, and it's because we're looking for escapism. 
Like yeah. that's fair. That's valid. Escapism is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be a tool as long as you don't take it too far, you know? Like exactly. I like mean, like it's how things. I found my fiance. Like <laughs> Yeah. Like it's right? because like, of D D that I got into gaming in general, then <laughs> Our last roommates, like, now my brother lives with us, but, like, our roommates that we had before him, we got close with them through Pathfinder because they wanted to try it out and Ben wanted to put together a group. Like, it, you know, like, you can build friendships that are, like, really deep, meaningful friendships. Like, I, they were, like, our best friends for a very long time. They moved very far away now and they're doing great. But, like, yeah, but we were very close with them for a very long time. Yeah. Even you and I kind of connected over role-playing games because you were like, I play D&D, and I was like, I play Pathfinder, same thing. Like, Yeah, well, we connected, like, you and I were, like, musicals and <laughs> role-playing games, mm-hmm. friends, never parting. <laughs> yeah, it was like, okay, we've got these two, like, specific interests that line up very, very well. Okay, I think we're set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, like, yes, sometimes it might help push a little bit but there's something behind yeah like in any of like the satanic panics and most of the panics in general there's something else behind that needs to be dealt with in order to assist with making the other thing more safe exactly D&D itself is not the problem the lack of social support for the people that need assistance and that leave them with only D&D is kind of the problem. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's... Satanic panic. (laughs) That's two main parts of the satanic panic. It's just fun to say. Satanic panic. Yeah, it sounds like a band. (laughs) Satanic That's true, it sounds like a metal band. I would love to see a metal band called the Satanic Panic. That'd be hilarious. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, and then next week we get to talk about cemeteries and weird burial tra- uh, traditions. Yeah, there's a few. There, there's a few, and they're odd. <laughs> I'm excited. I want to dig into some of them. There's a lot of fun stuff that happens at cemeteries. A lot of interesting things. Interesting things that we found in grave sites. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, continuing on our spooky theme. We're going to go now bury some bodies. (laughs) Bring your endangered plants, everybody, and... Bring your endangered plants. Like, literally, that is how you cover up a body. It is Uh, illegal. It is literally illegal to dig up an endangered plant. Therefore, you order endangered plants. You have them on the ready. Can you? Can you dig under it without digging it up? I don't know. Is that, like, like, burying, like, a tunnel under it? I don't know. I have questions. I have questions that have no answers. Um, <laughs> but you also get great fertilizer for your endangered plants. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs> Bye. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. 
juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that you found something new and will check out the resources in the show notes to get more information. In the meantime, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so more history nerds can find me. Don't forget to check out our Instagram page at WDYKA Podcast, as well as considering helping me out with a donation or membership on Buy Me a Coffee. The link is in the show notes and on our IG link tree. Thanks so much and see you next time on the lesser known side of history.